Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of The Green Room, a podcast presented by our friends at The Handshake Agency. I'm your host, Tiana Speter. Thank you for dropping by and hanging out with me today. Whether it's your first time listening or perhaps you've been here longer than I have, it's certainly been a big couple of weeks in Green Room HQ. And last week, I was lucky enough to grab some time with the incredible Greta Ray, chatting everything from moments that still take her breath away to what she's got kicking around on her rider. And of course, we chatted about the journey to her brand new debut album, Begin to Look Around, which officially released today. That's August 27, if you're tuning in after this episode goes live. And in keeping with new albums out today, Today's episode features another incredible artist armed with a brand new album. Renowned for their synth-pop wizardry and stadium-ready production, Glasgow group Churches grew up idolising the likes of David Bowie, Depeche Mode and Tangerine Dream, before actually becoming themselves the successors to the electronic modern musical throne. While the trio have undeniably taken the world by storm since first solidifying their current lineup in 2011, Few could have predicted how rapidly the world embraced their modern flavours and fanciful tones. I myself discovered Churches while listening to Matt Bellamy from Muse talking on Triple J One Drive Home. He mentioned they were a brand new band he was really getting into. And me, still being very much the Muse fangirl I was at the time, I leaped into Churches blindly on that recommendation alone. And hot damn, Matt Bellamy was on the money. Now with their fourth studio album, Screen Violence, providing a pivotal step forward for the group, including a cheeky appearance from Robert Smith from The Cure for Good Measure, what better time to grab a chat with Church's lead vocalist and percussionist Lauren Mabry to chat bands that shaped her, creative evolution, and potential band names that became albums. Awesome. Well, hello, Lauren from Churches. It is so lovely to be speaking to you today. Thank you so much for coming on the green room with me. How is everything in your world right now? It's good. Yeah. I mean, all things considered, I am good. I'm very lucky and happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yay. Well, I know this year has been a little bit of a roller coaster for us still after 2020. We've had a lot of, you know, highs and a few lows. And obviously on the opposite side of the world where you are, you've been witnessing a lot of various things going on as well. But we are now literally poised on the brink of a brand new Churches album with screen violence. Obviously, it's been a couple of years in the works now, but it's something absolutely beautiful. How does it feel to finally be unveiling it to the world? It feels very good. Thank you for for saying nice things. Uh, Yeah, we're really excited for people to hear the fruits of our lockdown labor, I suppose. And yeah, God knows people need something to distract distract themselves or something to look forward to. So hopefully the record can be part of some of that for some people. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess like I find it interesting that such a beautiful record did come out of such a turbulent year. I know the album itself probably started to come to life probably a little bit before 2020, but you know, you've turned the effects of a pandemic into something so spectacular. How much of screen violence was kind of in the works? Like, did you have a concept or kind of an overarching idea of what you wanted it to become before the pandemic really kicked off? We had the title, yeah. So uh, screen violence, the phrase, was actually a proposed band name that we never ended up using. So I think at the time we just thought it would be too retro and we didn't want people to think we were doing a kind of 80s pantomime. We were definitely inspired by that era, but not only that so we kept it thinking maybe we would use it for something later and 
when we were still touring our last record, it was like summer 2019. And I was trying to think of ideas for what to suggest for what we could do. And I found this big list of band names and that one just jumped out at me because I knew Ian and Martin would find something in that in terms of the aesthetic and the sounds. And I knew that it was something that I could write off of because I think there was a lot of layers to what that could mean for all of us and for me personally. We didn't intend there to be the third meaning of like screen violence, which is that we had to make it all remotely over Zoom and stuff. But, uh, you know, I guess you never never tell where life's going to go. And yeah, it was really great. Like selfishly, it was really great to have something to focus on during all that time because normally a band is an amazing but very chaotic part of your life because it's always like touring, moving, go, go, go. Like you miss weddings, you miss birthdays, you miss all the things because you're like have this toxic relationship with your band. But uh, last year it became this really kind of grounding, centering thing. And it was actually very comforting to every day we go on our zoom meeting at this time and sometimes we don't talk about anything we just make music and it's nice to do that for a few hours but sometimes you know we were processing what was happening on on the phone call with each other in real time and I think we're very lucky to have that so yeah absolutely it's interesting with all of that stuff like it's not like you're having a routine as such but it does kind of become that new normality in a way because of just you don't really have another option. And I guess, interestingly, that you touch on working remotely, I mean, were there any elements about that process that you found yourself enjoying other than the fact you had the time to actually process it and actually be in that moment 100% rather than having your brain thinking about touring and all the other stuff that goes with it? Like for me, if I'm pushed outside my regular routine or my comfort zone, Sometimes you get that unexpected bonus. Did you have any of those feelings in the process from the remote interactions or creating in that respect? I think for me, it was a really important moment in the the lyric writing of the band because something, not that these songs are like narratives because they're all definitely still personal, but there's a lot more imagery and a lot more specific imagery in them than there has been on other records. And I don't know if I would have, tried that as thoroughly as we did had we not had everything else about the band disappear like we kept saying how it was the most similar writing process to the first Churches album because for better or worse we were in a vacuum like what is a band when nobody ever sees you or hears you or and you don't go and play shows and you don't do promo you, you're just in your house all the time like what is a band and a band is writing and I think I'm sure that everybody can relate to this, but like, I don't know. I think last year really helped solidify for me that we've wasted so much time in our lives and I've wasted so much time in my life caring about things I shouldn't have cared about or trying for things I shouldn't have been trying for. So I think when it came to making music, we were like, what is the point of this if it isn't something that you are really proud of and you really, really, really love it? And I think in other times I would have been like, oh, don't try that. That's risky. Don't do that. Don't put guitars on a church's album. But I think that last year we were just like, what's the point in doing anything if we won't do it in a way that feels authentic and honest? So, yes, I'm glad of that. Only that. (laughs) 
Well, it's, I guess it's nice to have some form of silver lining. And off the back of that too, I really, really loved, I read in an interview that you um, did, I think it was last year, and you said that screen violence isn't the frilliest of church's records, which is mm. now officially my favourite descriptive word, and I may have to ask you if I can use it one time. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, yes, you're most welcome. I think as soon as that came out of my mouth, I was like, frilly? Frilly? What do you mean? But, yeah, I just think because the third church's record it wasn't necessarily more pop in some ways, but it wasn't like we were definitely trying to go for something that was much more direct and shinier in a lot of ways. So I think when it came, we knew that we'd done that and we enjoyed doing that. And that was the time that we got a lot out of. And I love that record. But by the time we'd finished touring it, we were definitely like, okay, it's enough sugar for now. Let's try something else, you know? So Yes, and I think that was a blessing in disguise in a way because if we'd been trying to make a super up, super happy, super shiny record during a lockdown, I don't think that would have worked. Luckily, we were already we'd already planned to make a record that was relatively dark, and it just got darker as time went on. Well, it's all, I mean, you didn't preempt it, but isn't it interesting that it, you know who who could have known what was to come in the future after that that. Oh, cute kitty cat in the back. <laughs> there, she's there going. I have two cats, which I don't. There we go. I'm going to shut them out of this room. Excuse me. This is bad podcast etiquette. Excuse you. Um, yes, I did the thing where I adopted some cats in lockdown, who I love dearly, and they're very wonderful. But it's like 15 minutes before their dinner time, so they are going absolutely crackers. <laughs> um, yes. Well, let's not. I yes. won't keep them from their food because I'm. I'm the same. I get very, very. <laughs> Very do you you run around and jump off walls and windows and things when you haven't had your sleep? So if I haven't eaten, <laughs> when you're in, so I'm nearing my lunchtime. So if I get up and start running around, you know what? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um, and in terms of what you were doing during lockdown as well, I mean, obviously with live performances off the table for a little bit, did it give you guys a bit of time to like your live shows are incredible. So there's obviously not Thanks. a lot of improvement as such, but did it give you time to kind of reconsider? how you might come back out of the gates when you can really get back at it and bring this album to life on stage. Has anything changed in that respect? Yeah, yeah. I think that, well, touring's always been such a huge part of churches just because of the background that we come from and the kind of bands we came up with. We just always knew that we wanted to be a band that was on the road. But um, I think for me, churches has always been a bit of an adjustment because I was never the main I wasn't a front person in any other band. I was always playing other instruments and sometimes I would do some singing, but it wasn't just always me. There was someone else singing as well. So I I went from trying to never be the front man to being the front man all the time. And I don't know, you know, that took a long time to grow into because I was never really like Martin from Churches is a much more naturally good performer in center stage than me. So I feel like I've always had to kind of, work on that and like split my way of thinking about it and be like this is this kind of headspace and writing is just such a different headspace because for performing I'm like I don't really want to feel that vulnerable I want to I feel like people come to a show not to look at you they come to a show to have you be like the backdrop that they can project their emotions onto in terms of what the songs mean to them like you're kind of like just a a vehicle for that and I think that's awesome and once I got to that way of thinking it's been much easier to do it but I do feel like I want the live show to be powerful and like I need to not be 
a super sensitive, super emotional person in that space. But when we're writing, I'm like, I have to, I have to be super sensitive and super emotional. So in a way, the fact that there was, there has been so long without a live show as much as that's horrible in a lot of ways. And we miss it a lot. And we miss everybody. We miss all the people that come to the shows. I think in a way it's been good because we've been locked in this little cupboard where we can just write and write and write and write. And we're already working on the new stuff and yeah. And plan. So we're already planning. We've got planned the visuals for the shows and we really know what we want to do because I feel like by the time the shows come back, I want it to be really, really good. And I know that people coming to the shows, they're like, just give us something. Give us something to release us from this for like an hour and a half. And that's what that's what we want to do. So we're ready. Well, that's extremely exciting. I know it may be a little bit longer before we can actually see you here in Australia. So we'll just have to look on from afar, but... Is there a particular song on screen violence that you are most excited to actually finally christen live in front of a crowd? Man, I feel I'm like the you op- to play favorites. So. <laughs> I know. Choose my favorite child. Uh, I don't know. I feel like Violent Delights has got an awesome kind of breakbeat thing in it, which will be great. But I think my favorite one is Asking for a Friend, the opening track on the record, because I feel like this it's a very sad song in some ways, but it's very hopeful and like there's just a massive release emotionally and sonically so I feel like that one as we it's one of the few that we thought about that when we were writing it because it's just started to go in that way we're like maybe this is like clearest blues twisted cousin <laughs> and then I was like all right clearest blue always goes well on the show so maybe this is just a slightly more messed up version of that I love that and I have proof I have Violent Delights written because I every time I ask ah. someone to pick a favourite, I pick a favourite because I feel like it's only fair. So I don't know if it's because I was a Shakespeare nerd. I was just instantly instantly drawn to the Yay. title and then I was like, oh, yeah, this is my jam. So. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, I'm, I'm really glad that you got that because I was starting to feel like just a really big pretentious idiot because so many people in interviews have said, oh, is it because of Westworld? And I was like, huh? I haven't seen Westworld, so I don't know. But I was like, I assume that we're all referencing the same guy. It's quite yeah. well known. And yeah. I was like, guys, you can even watch the film version of Romeo and Juliet. Right. You don't even have to read it. You can just watch it. Like, But yes, I feel like I love a bit of a, a little literary knife twist in some lyrics. That's my favorite. Yeah, bit of cheek, bit of cheeky Will Shakespeare just in there for the mix. I'm always, I'm a big fan. So I'm <laughs> glad it was actually that and I didn't accidentally embarrass it. It was Westworld. No, it wasn't. <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> Stick around after this short break. Lauren and I dive deep into artists that sparked her journey, the nostalgic smell of backstage whiskey, and how the group lassoed their bucketless collaborator of all time snagging Robert Smith from The Cure one Halloween to appear on their brand new album. Steve Bell here. I present the Handshake Agency podcast Rewind. Each series takes you back to a moment of musical heritage as we present oral histories about great albums of our time from the people who made them. If, like me, you have a geek-like curiosity about your favourite artists, track down Rewind with Steve Bell at thepodcast.com.au Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favourite shows. Now, side note, while we're chatting songs, just casually having Robert Smith on How Not to Drown. Yeah. Tell me, like, I know for you guys, he was, I believe he was the ultimate person, living or dead, to actually collaborate with. Can you tell me the moment he sent you the vocals for that track? I mean, I honestly still can't believe that this is a thing 
that we talk about. Like, I'm like, how is this life? What is happening? But uh, yeah, and it was so, such a weird thing. We never thought that would happen. It happened so accidentally. It was through our manager because he had, all Cure fans know, the new Cure album is in the works. We know this. So he had said to somebody he knew, knew them, could you pass my email address on in case I can pitch churches for a support slot or something? And then he got an email back from Robert Smith because Robert Smith manages himself these days. And it just said like, Aloha Campbell, I hear you're looking for me. What do you want? <laughs> and he was like, oh, what do I want? I don't know. So we sent him some music and thinking that it would just be good for him to get a sense of the record. And then eventually it ended up with him being on a track and, we didn't hear anything for a few weeks and then we were like, well, you know, if this is as close as we got, I would say that's pretty amazing to know that Robert Smith knows you're a real human being and he's listened to your music. And then I wonder if he sat on it for so like for a length of time so he could give us this fan experience. But he sent us the demo with his vocal on it on Halloween when we were <laughs> Martin and I were. Uh, hanging out and we were getting a little bit wine drunk and we were going to watch a horror movie and which is very on brand for the whole album really and then we got this email from Robert Smith being like happy Halloween I'm having spooky fun here's the demo (laughs) we're like what and of course it was like basically what the final mix ended up being is what (laughs) the demo was so turns out he's very good at what he does who knew I mean we knew because we all love the cure. But, That's wow. incredible. Like you're going to be hard pressed to top Halloween this year. I feel like not that I'm putting you. I'm not that I'm putting that on you. But yeah, that's pretty. pretty going to be pretty tough to me. There's no point. I'm just going to go to bed. I'm not yep. going to try. Done. Yep. Yeah. In bed by nine. <laughs> <laughs> And I know in the past, like you personally, you've had some pretty incredible, like you've got a huge lineup of collaborations. Um, I did spy bleachers in there. I actually had um, Jack Antonoff on the podcast um, a couple of weeks back too. He's an absolute sweetheart too. But is there anyone actually left on the bucket list now? (laughs) Have you ticked everyone off? I mean, yeah, I like that in our minds, we're always like, oh, we don't do that many features. And then when I look at the ones that we have done, I'm like, well, that's that's pretty solid. Like, I don't, I think it'll be difficult to top Robert in that way. So if we do do something else, I feel like it will be very different from that, you know? And I definitely, especially like Ian and Martin are such electronic music heads. I know they really love like the kind of AG Cook, hyperpop, PC music stuff and SG Lewis. We really love his work. And I think it would probably be more in that space or working with somebody on a whole record, I think. So we'll see. We'll see. You never know because I could be just talking shite because I would, if you'd said to me, will Robert Smith be on your album? I'd be like, no. So <laughs> I don't know. Who knows what will happen? I like that though. It opens it up to anything. So I'm very excited. I'll be watching very closely to see what happens. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. And I know you touched on it a little bit earlier, um, just about your earlier time in, you know, earlier bands and that. So you started off not as the front woman you said you were even drumming I mean I personally am still in love with your cover of Rage's Killing in the Name like, I'm, <laughs> oh like, no yeah, no I lo- like I can't not love it but given these days you are so heavily linked to more of this like quote unquote synth pop world what kind of stuff did you really grow up listening to that really like kind of shaped and helped you start this whole journey was it outside of those waters back in the day yeah, well, I guess Ian and Martin both went to college to do music, so they are much more learned than me in all those ways. But I feel grateful that I grew up in a house not raised by musicians, but 
people who really loved music from a fan perspective. So like there was always like Annie Lennox and Whitney Houston and uh, like the Eagles and all that stuff playing in the house that my parents would play. And then I was, I was a British girl in the nineties. So obviously like Spice Girls and that kind of era of pop music. And then like, I think to this day, I can't remember any of my pin numbers, but I could remember like all the lyrics to an Atomic Kitten song. And I'm like, I don't know that that's the way that my brain should operate. I love it very much. <laughs> you know, but I think that, yeah, I have an appreciation and a genuine, genuine love for pop music because that's what I loved when I was 11. So it's what I love now. But then I guess as a teenager, it was definitely of the, like in a Jimmy Eat World era of like alternative I don't even know how much I like to call Jimmy World emo but I did a lot of like driving around listening to that and then I think through that you find your way to other things and I genuinely think that uh, the guys always call me like harmonizer 5000 when we do recording because I know that I don't think I'm good at that many things but I'm very good at harmonies I don't need to he, I can sing the lead and then I don't need to sing it through to check it I'll just know what the harmony is which is very odd but I do think that that's from listening to so much of that kind of rock music where like Jimmy Eat World is consistent stacked harmonies for a lot of the songs. And I would never sing Jimmy's part because I never thought that I could, I would never imagine that I would be Jim Atkins. I always imagined I would be like, maybe they'll get a keyboard player and that'll be me. So I would always harmonize with the singers or like harmonize with Alanis or Avril or whatever it was. So it stood me in good stead in the long run. Yeah, I feel like we must have grown up at a very similar era because you're name-checking all of these things. I think the, the first album I bought wasn't Spice Girls, but the first single I ever bought myself on a CD was Wannabe. So <sighs> I'm dating myself quite drastically here. But um, And then I would like Jimmy Eat World, all of that era. Yeah, and I like I do not class myself as a good singer, but I would still try to bust out the harmonies. But I reckon you've probably got me beat. Well, but I do think that there's something in that like what the things you like to that formative time definitely stay with you and I don't know that I don't know I think that the reason I hold on to like Jimmy World out of all the bands I listened to at that time is a they did weren't mad misogynist in hindsight like loads of the stuff I listened to around that time I now look at it and I'm like whoa (laughs) like so much of emo was about girls but not for girls like you were selling records to girls about girls but it wasn't anything to do with them really like I look at like some glass jaw lyrics and I'm like oh my god oh my god what were we what was I doing but you didn't know and it was a very specific time it was like American Pie era girls gone wild like that's what young boys are taught but that's also what young girls were taught and then that's what I was picking up from society but Jimmy World, I don't feel like they were in that space. And also I feel like the stories and the lyrics were better. Like, and I do not that I'm saying church is sounds like Jimmy Eat World, but I think that there's something in that in terms of like the the keenness of our love for melody and the storytelling and the lyrics. And you know, that led to me later loving like Rilo Kylie and Jenny Lewis and Nick Cave and those kinds of storytellers. But it had to start somewhere. Somebody had to start the fire. So well, I'm very glad they did and you've turned into a prolific storyteller yourself and given you have been in this journey for, you know, I believe like with the band now, it's, you're clocking up a decade since like officially it all kicked off. If you could go back to Lauren in those first early days and offer a piece of advice, A, would you? And B, what would it be if you would? 
I wonder. I think if I knew then what I knew now, what I know now, the the experience of the band would have been different. So I wish that I could say, you're right for being this worried about some of these things, but ultimately it's going to be okay. It's going to be better than what you think it's going to be. You just try and breathe a little. But also I think if I, if anything had changed, then it wouldn't have been the same band, you know? We wouldn't have been writing the same things. I wouldn't have been saying the same things and maybe it wouldn't have connected with people in the same way. So um, I can look back at all the great parts and all the panic attacks and be like, it just had to be like that. It just had to be that way. Because any if you changed any of those things in the sliding doors, look back on it, it would be different. And I guess, I don't know, I've been inside for too long now. I've been inside <laughs> for like a year and a half, so I'm all wistful. But I don't know, I wouldn't change any of it for better or worse. I'm very, very lucky. And we know that. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's the best answer. And I think it sounds like a callback but I always think we end up where we're meant to be and for better or worse like you know it gets you there so yes very glad you are here and very glad you're on the brink of screen violence but to quickly close us out with one final question before you go feed your cats so that they don't (laughs) jump on the walls anymore given I have dragged you onto the green room podcast today and you have some live shows hopefully in the not too distant future what is one item you would like backstage in your green room on your next live tour that may keep you sane or help you kind of get back into the swing of things for live music? Hmm. I don't know. I feel like I live a, like Martin came around to my house once and looked in the fridge and was like, your fridge is basically what our writer is. And I'm like, that's why the stuff's on the writer. Like, I don't understand. Like, yes, I would like some honey and lemons. And yes, I would like some hummus. But I'm going to say like a bottle of Laphroaig because that's Ian from Church's special beverage. Like he's, he's, a, he's a real whiskey connoisseur. And yeah, it'll make me feel... I don't ever drink whiskey because I can't <laughs> handle it. It's just too intense for me. I either... I dry rich and then like get like teary eyed. I can't, I can't handle it. But that's me. I have such memories of that smell because it always makes me think of standing next to him when we're just about to go on stage because he's got a little cup of whiskey. So I'll know we're back in the game when there's a spicy Laphroaig smell flying around the room. I love that. I do secretly love to drink that, but obviously we won't make you drink it, but good to know. Just we'll get you like a little scent, like a little incense burn with that scent in it. Yes. I mean, I can't like once maybe on new year or like burns night or something, I will try, but yeah, I have to like (laughs) sip it. So like a tiny, tiny, tiny little siplet every time I'm like, Ooh, Ooh. And then like breathe fire between every sip, (laughs) which I think means you're not cut out for it. I think, but one day maybe I'll age into it. I like the idea of being like an older lady on a rocking chair who's seen just a lot of shit and like she's sipping on a spicy whiskey and she's not even flinching. I think that's when you know that you've traveled through the world. <laughs> I, I genuinely can't wait for that. I'll be right there next to you doing it too. <laughs> it I'm still listening to Jimmy Eat World and stuff on our yes. rocking chairs. Oh, this is too perfect, but I'm glad we have that to look forward to. But obviously we also have screen violence coming out. It is absolutely gorgeous. It's another beautiful church's release. Congratulations on surviving what you have and coming out of it armed with this. And thank you for joining me on the green room today. Thank you so much for having me. This was very fun. And sorry that my cats were being mental. They don't care about promo. They don't care who buys the kibble. They just want it. That's why we love cats. That's why we love them. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much, pal. Thank you. An absolute delight having Lauren join me on today's episode. What an incredible human being. And for anyone who needs a pick-me-up, an impromptu dance party, or just some new tunes in your life, 
Screen violence is out in the world right now and ready to brighten your day. So be sure to grab a listen if you haven't already. I have already listened. So as for me, I am clearly ready for a whiskey and a Jimmy Eat World binge after that chat. So the rest of my day is now officially sorted. As always, a review or a like or a subscribe for this podcast helps us keep the lights on or at least the microphone plugged in. That's always handy. You can chuck a review via Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or you can even watch full episodes over at YouTube just by searching The Green Room with Tiana Speter and your interwebs will take care of the rest. To catch up on previous episodes or to even discover a few other podcasts on the Handshake Agency, head on over to thepodcast.com.au to catch up. But if you're a stickler for your favorite podcast platform, I won't tell you how to live your life. You know the drill. Type in The Green Room with Tiana Speter in your favorite podcast place and go get listening. It's been a pleasure to have you here with me today. Please be extra nice to one another out there. Maybe check in on a mate who may be doing it extra tough in lockdown right now. Or just even do something extra nice for yourself today. Hang in there, stay safe, and I'll catch you next time on The Green Room. from the Handshake Agency Network, produced by Tiana Speter and Andrew Mast, with Pharrell D'Souza and Henry Gibson providing research, recorded and engineered by Zig Parker, executive producer Craig Truey. 